Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Bob or You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. everybody welcome to go home bible you're drunk the podcast where we talk about the bible and why it is so crazy making when you try to take it literally i'm tori i was raised in evangelicalism and you know was supposed to be like a good little christian wife right like i was i wasn't really taught anything because it was like just get married and make babies and apparently people didn't get the memo that like you kind of have to be white (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in order to like get married and make babies in those spaces. So that didn't, that didn't quite shake out for me. So I'm no longer an evangelical and I have a podcast about it. And I also have a co-host. Yeah. Uh, I'm Justin. I was also told to get married and make babies, which, which I, I did, but it, it <laughs> turns out life is about more than getting married and making babies. Surprise. And, How dare and, you slander the nuclear family? Yeah. Uh, turns out the nuclear family was a relatively recent invention. And a scam. A, <laughs> a scam. capitalist scam. Okay, this, I do need this t-shirt. The nuclear family is a capitalist scam. Yeah, I, I feel like I need to write that one down now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And our we're, we're going to make that. This is, this is going to be our actual t-shirt that we actually make. Nuclear family is a capitalist scam. Writing that down now. <laughs> This is not, this is not at all to say that we don't love our kids. Cause I think that like both of us wanted to have kids. So like that part was, you know, that's a thing also, but yeah. yes, it's not the end all be all of your life is to make people who might potentially spend eternity in hell. Yeah. Like it, it's not that family is a scam. Right. It's <laughs> the nuclear family is a scam. And oh, man. like in yeah, being together, being committed. You know, mar- even marriage, you know, like, honestly, I don't know that a lot of that filing taxes jointly is a good thing. But yeah, the whole like incentives, yeah. a lot of this, a lot of the incentives are mm-hmm. are scams, which that's another podcast. We weren't really going to get into that today, but perhaps we will. Maybe someday. Someday we will. Never know. So, yeah, I was a minister. I, I peddled the scam for many, many years. To, to young children as a youth pastor and as well as a you know associate pastor and the roles and with adults and stuff but yeah i'm out of that now and now i have a podcast about it and so here we are doing our thing yeah just you know decompressing with a few thousand of our fellow no longer evangelicals mm-hmm. <laughs> we we are legion as they say oh mm-hmm. actually i suppose right. I suppose technically our podcast audience is like five or six legions. Oh. So 
I think that makes us sound a little more badass than we actually are. <laughs> yeah. Sounds badass to me. Our our podcast is larger than Mark Driscoll's current church. I feel good about that. So all of you are a part of the movement to make Mark Driscoll feel like Sad. he's a tiny person. I feel like he's doing that. I feel like he's doing that to himself. For sure. That man, that man is the, the Arizona sun is unkind to him. Oh, yes. That was not his calling. <laughs> no, I don't typically like to mock people's appearances, but the last few photos I've seen of him, he just does not look well. Yeah, he does doesn't not look, look well. happy. Uh-huh. Like just, uh, you know, like I don't know, sometimes just some people look like a shell of themselves, like Mar- like Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll, when he was in his prime, that dude, I mean, he looked alive, Yes, you know, yeah. and he looked mm-hmm. happy being a misogynist. <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, look like he enjoyed uh, that job. Like, I'm not saying he was a good person. I'm just saying he enjoyed being a bad person. Uh, <laughs> it it feels like it's catching up with him now, or it looks like it is, at least mm-hmm. in his physical body. Yeah, yeah. He just he just doesn't he just doesn't he just doesn't look like he's doing well. You know, it's like it's not a like body shaming thing. It's just like, oh, buddy, <laughs> some water, rough. some moisturizer. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah exactly. But, you know, as as they say, hatred really, you know, curdles you like warm milk doesn't Mm -hmm. doesn't go well. It's not it's not good for your skincare regimen. Yeah, not at all. So speaking of old people, I was I was at Wild Goose the last like uh, probably well, it wouldn't be last week, maybe two weeks ago. A lot of old hippies at Wild Goose. Like, I mean, I, I, I like a good old hippie. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of old hippies at the Wild Good Fe- Goose Festival. If if you are in the, probably the eastern half of the United States, if you're on the West Coast, uh, it's going to be quite a trek for you to get to Statesville, North Carolina. Statesville. Uh, yeah. Wow. I was in Statesville, like in the little downtown area. We were eating out with uh, some folks. And there was like an abortion protest going on. Like these kids just like being as pro-choice as possible. I yelled at them that I, that I was, you know, had a vasectomy. They loved it. You know, but then there was like these old fuddy-duddy preachers that were like preaching against them. And it just looked like these were like Mormon dudes on mission. Like, not cool. Like, if I just looked at the two protesters, the pro-choice protesters and these fuddy-duddy ministers, like, I I would join these pro-choice protesters. They were pretty badass. I felt bad. I felt like they're safe. They they are not safe. Like, this is, this is, this is a... This is yeah. this was a Confederate town a hot minute ago. Like, you know, like, I was going to ask, it sounds like a sundown town to me, but <laughs> very much feels that way. I mean, it's actually a lovely little town. I mean, the the I should say the architecture and the feel of the town was nice, but it was just kind of like, oh, I, I, these these poor kids are might not be safe. But <laughs> yeah, but really putting it on the line, man, for yeah. bodily autonomy. Yeah, but I. Wild Goose has a new location now, which I guess is actually a much better location than previous years. This is the first time I've been. It used to be, I guess, way out in the sticks. You had to pass a lot of Confederate flags on the way there. But the new location is like right off the highway. So it's it, it from what I understand. And there's cell service. So like from what I understand, it feels safer to go. But I, this isn't to critique or make fun of or to mock anyone that is part of the planning committee of wild goose this is just more of a conversation i want to have with my friend and with all of you a lot of these progressive christian spaces are very good for white progressive christians in the sense that they provide a forum for them to learn new ideas like hey i'm deconstructing my faith like 
I need I need like minded people to talk to that about, uh, especially queer folks that are like, you know, I faith is still important to me. And I think in a sizable amount of our audience, faith is still important to them in some way. And so I think those are important spaces. But I've also seen a lot of criticism online from people of color and from even from some folks that are, you know, LGBTQIA. And this is like, hey, you know, Wild Goose is not a safe place for me or Wild Goose is not a welcoming place for me. And then that may or may not be true. Again, I don't know their experience. I'm not going to say that's not true. I felt safe and I saw a black person there. So you're wrong. Like, I don't, that would not be, that's not my place to say. Hey, Ron DeSantis. <laughs> you know, like there was a black person there and a trans person there. Therefore, it's safe for all black people. I didn't murder people. either yeah. of them. Yeah. You know, and I didn't. <laughs> They, they left alive, so it must be safe. <laughs> uh, you know, like that's, you know, oh, God. but I do think that, you know, there has been this criticism, you know, sent that their way. And I think it's, I, it's, I think it's fair. And I also think as, as someone who wants to start planning events in this space in the deconstruction space, I think, it, I think it's important to have the conversation. What can be done to make these spaces friendly to white people that are deconstructing for sure that's a demographic you want to hit but also friendly to black folks that are deconstructing and trans folks that are deconstructing and all the various intersections of all of those things how do you make a space that is not just welcoming but also empowering it too like it's not just like hey you're allowed to be here but hey you're part of creating these spaces how do we do that and it's a kind of a question i wanted to ask tori and also just kind of throw out to our audience if you want to leave comments on various platforms yeah, something I, I'm just I, I want to know. So, Tori, what what is it that you what is your read on that? I mean, I, I think that there are lots of I think that there's lots of things that you can do. I mean, and, and this is like this is like what I do for work okay? yeah. <laughs> is I like help people make spaces that aren't just like safe and inclusive, but are actually like this space itself is created by people of color, by queer folks, uh, by disabled folks, like people, people being put in positions where it's not like, Oh, you, you know, you have a say here, but there's two of you and eight of us. And we want to do it this way. We just have you at the table just because we need some like feedback or whatever. Right. And so I think that that's really sort of fundamentally where like you're you're kind of like you're jumping off point and i you know i i tell people this all the time like with with their businesses it's like okay you can you know you can hire somebody you can hire like a diversity equity inclusion coordinator or whatever other position in order to like bring, to create like a more diverse staff for your business just as an example right like because it it is really legitimately hard for for i think white folks for white business owners, especially y'all don't know where to find people of color, which you should work on that. Maybe just a thought, even if you're going to like go out and, and, and hire somebody who can do a really good job. Like, like you're saying, Justin, it just, it doesn't matter if you have like, you're like, Oh, we have somebody on our team. Who's going to like help us fix this problem. It's like, well, yeah, but who who's in, who's still in charge of the conversation right who's still like when it comes right down to it whose opinion actually matters yeah because right I, you don't want it to be diversity pokemon mm -hmm. where it's like we have a black person 
We have a trans person. We have a black trans person. We have a queer person. This person's like non-binary Latino, indigenous, and trans. Like, right, look exactly. at this. You know, like, like it just—it's you know, this is the it's final not a form. Card, yeah, it's guys. that's not what it is. Yeah, and, exactly. And you don't want people to feel like that too. Like, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. like, I mean, again, people can tell. As a white person, I've never experienced tokenism in that way, but it's like I—I I imagine it's pretty obvious the feeling that you feel when it's like I'm just here. Because when you I take photos, a box, yeah. it will look like we're more diverse than we are. And again, this is not me criticizing Wild Goose in that itself. It's just more like I've seen that critique. And I've seen that critique of a lot of white spaces. Well, yeah, I think a lot of progressive white. Progressive Christian or spaces. just progressive spaces. Yeah, yeah. Progressive Christian, progressive spaces just generally, you know, thinking about like bernie sanders campaign which yes. you know lots of really really great ideas ideas that would really help most working class people regardless of their race or ability status or anything else but like it doesn't if you don't if you if you're if your communication isn't translating it doesn't really matter right if you are if you're in a position where like I have all these really, really great ideas. And like, just as an example, in American politics, black women are kind of an afterthought for me. Like, no, black women are the people that get Democrats elected. So you're wrong, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like the um, Alabama Senate election when they were going to elect that pedophile. It was black women that prevented that from happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, if you, like black women know that you don't respect them. Black women know that you don't think that they're equal to you. Black women know that you think that their opinions mean less. Like black pe- black women know that you think that they should be paid less than you for the same fucking job. Like you're not you're not subtle, you know. Like having having like POC at the table or whatever the situation is, you know, whatever whatever bingo spot you're going after for your for your organization or your event or your business or your campaign or whatever the fuck, like. Black women know when they're being tokenized, when they're not being listened to. And that's why you're going to get people like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton is because they actually will have conversations with these people and treat them like real people. Like they actually know, like this demographic is fucking important to me because I'm not going to win without them. Right. And it's not, it's not like a, oh, we're just going to go for like, (laughs) like younger ish, like upwardly mobile ish white folks and like everybody else will just get on board like no fuck that shit you have to go for in terms of in terms of like making a space like truly safe and inclusive like the people who are calling the shots have to be the people with the least amount of power i know that sucks to hear for a lot of white people but that's just how it is and anything else is like you are fooling yourself and you're doing a huge disservice and frankly i would say you know committing racism and like transphobia and like denying access to people with disabilities if that's not how it's set up you know all you're doing is telling yourself i'm a good person you're not actually making any headway and so you know and i know that it like it takes it takes work to get you know uh, just again like as an example like clients you know if you have a business that is like 20 30 40 employees and like most of them are white like yeah it takes work to change that if you have if you have 25 white employees and you bring in like one indigenous person you're like hey please help us with x y and z that poor person 
it's like you're just you're 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 committing violence against that person because they have yeah. no they have no power like you've brought them to the table and said you know we're turning your mic off you're just here you're just gonna sit here right yeah and we I think- hired you in like whatever <laughs> low management capacity now we're diverse right right exactly and then it's like well why aren't why isn't our company diversifying? Like we literally hired you to do diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like, why aren't you succeeding here? You're not meeting these metrics we created. And it's like, you didn't, you didn't give me the power to do that. And also I'm not going to tell people to come to this environment. That's clearly unsafe. Like, yeah, I'm not going to tell people like, Hey, you should really come to this place to work it's racist and I get treated like shit and I get paid less than, you know, other people. And I'm just, we're just all going to pretend like we don't know that that's what's fucking happening, you know? And then it's like, Oh, well you're, you're not meeting our metrics. So we're going to replace you with a white guy, (laughs) you know, Uh, like that's like, well, I I was thinking about it and kind of preparing for this. It's a white woman is is who gets gets that job. Well, and that's, that's how diversity happens. Like it's all white dudes. (laughs) And then we hire a white woman. It's a girl. You know, and then they'll hire a black man, Uh huh. you know, and then maybe a Latino man. And so it's like, honestly, like black women and or a queer person, actually, probably a queer man will be hired. Mm-hmm. And then so it's like, yeah. this is like, what, 15 years worth of diversification. And then finally, they start hiring black women. And, you know, and that's and that is and that's considered progress in this country in a lot of ways. I mean, and it, I mean, it is like, I right. mean, in our, in our country, sadly, the bar yeah, is low. <laughs> I'm still technically progress. And, and I think it, it requires so much work because I, I think if I was, if, if anyone sets up a company and it just grows and you're not intentional at all, and you're not really thinking about it, you're going to end up with a very white organization. That is the way gravity flows in America. Like that's just like that. And so the importance of being, I would even say, as a white person to white people being overly intentional or what feels overly intentional is I think what it requires, you know, from, from day one to be, you know, we have to do this and it's going to feel like a, you know, like I'm just going to, all these trigger words is going to feel like affirmative action. It's going to feel like unfair to this, to well-meaning white person number four that you could have invited to be a speaker or you could have, you know, hired on, you know, and, and that's that I, I will confess, even just even saying that, like, I believe it firmly, but there's also a part of me that's like, but I'm a qualified white man, you know, <laughs> I should be getting these jobs, you know, but like, there's a thousand jobs I could be getting. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So at, at more racist organization, I, yeah, it, it is, it's, it's a tough thing. And I think too, because all cultures that aren't white are novelized and tokenized in some way Mm -hmm. it is hard for me as a white person to not tokenize people of color or people just people from france or something like like treat them like novelties like oh can you say this word for me and yeah folks you gotta stop that yeah yeah you do i mean i i do i think that that's something that we don't talk about enough is like it's gonna feel painful it's gonna feel unfair you know like I say this all the time, but we're just programmed. White people are just programmed to see themselves as like the hero and the savior and the person that's going to fix it. And the person that's going to make things better for black people or native people or disabled people or queer people or whatever. Right. And so we have like all of this internalized white saviorism. And then it's like, 
wait a second, like my, my opinion matters here just as much as anybody else's. And it's like, okay, well, are you trying to replicate like these racist systems that already exist? Cause if you're going to do that, like, just go do that. Like, don't, don't try to be inclusive. Like just go do your white shit. Like nobody cares. But you know, I think that, I think white people really have to wrestle with the fact that it's like, yeah, it's going to feel gross. You know, it's going to feel kind of shitty. It's going to feel like reverse racism. And when it feels like reverse racism, that means you're doing it right. <laughs> like, because it's like the pendulum is so far in the direction of whiteness that like, it's going to feel like an attack to you to get to equity, right? Just to get to like a place where everybody has equal access and is given the accommodations they need to have the same access that like white men have, right? To have the same power that white men have. So, I mean, I think that, yeah, it's like, you got to, do you got to be serious about that? You got to, you know, cause it's like, I don't, I don't try to like sugarcoat stuff for people, you know, it's like, okay, we have, we have neuroplasticity. Like we can learn new things. We can reject racism and transphobia and sexism and self-hatred, whatever that looks like, you know, those are all like really good things. But I think at the end of the day, because we're constantly having white supremacy reinforced, like, yeah, it's going to feel really, really yucky. Like you're going to feel like you're being put down because again, like you're accustomed to being at the top or, or, you know, proximate to the top if you're not a white dude. And, you know, I don't think it's fair to sugarcoat that for, for white people. You know, I think it does everybody a disservice to be like, oh yeah, like everything's going to be fun. We're all just going to sit around and sing Kumbaya and like, we're going to make this do these like team building exercises and like get to know each other. It's like, no, that's not how it's going to feel. Like you are going to feel bad. And if you're not okay with that, like just admit you're not okay with that. Like don't pretend to be one of the good ones or whatever. Like you can just be an average middle-class mediocre white person. Like you don't have to like do violence by pretending to be like one of the good ones. If that makes sense. Yeah, it is. It is such a like, that feeling of unfairness, which is something that non-white people have to live with every day, but like that white people <laughs> like it, the experience is trauma. Like I, I remember there was a, I think a lot of colleges have done this social experiment. They did this as like a team building thing for us where they had like, they put us all in like three different groups and like I was put in the poor group so it's like four and like it's basically like they tape off like four boxes on the floor and you all have to get in the boxes well like one box which was the poor box i'll just say has more people in it and it's Mm. smaller and then there's like a middle box and then there's like a, a another box the the wealthy people box has fewer people in it and it's bigger and then the and then basically you're tasked with like make a community and you're given and you're given like assignments to do. But yeah, I mean, there were people that were supposed, like there were like, you know, college, like, you know, professors and stuff that were supposed to be like the police that would come in and like, you know, like mess up our stuff. Mm, and, wow. Like uh, would. I don't know if they actually told me they didn't like the color of my skin, but they said something that was like, that is that feels racist to me. I'm just <laughs> trying to build a community center, sir. Um, <laughs> And, and eventually like all of the people in our box, we basically gave up on the game and just kind of hung out. And then like, they debriefed that and they're like, what does that say? It was actually a really good exercise, honestly. And like, and all the people in the, the rich person box, they were playing the game like crazy. 
they would like go to this like bank and they would get stuff and they'd build all kinds of shit. Um, the people in the middle, they said the whole time they were looking at the us and the poor people and they were looking at the rich people and trying to see what we were doing. Mm, I was like, I feel like this is society right here. Yeah, all that to say, like that feeling of unfairness. Like, I'm glad I ended up in the poor, the quote unquote poor section, because like that was the only place I was going to learn that lesson. But that feeling of unfairness and that feeling of like being incensed and like, fuck you. Like, why people don't like that feeling? I mean, nobody likes that feeling, but it's it's not a feeling that we're used to feeling because society just works for us, you know? And and that's not even to say people don't struggle. They're very much our poor white people and they get shit on by wealthy white people too. But the color of their skin is not something they have to worry about. And they can walk into a white progressive space and not have to deal with that at least. So I, I think it's, I say that all that to say like, that feeling of unfairness is something that I think we're going to have to learn how to be uh, more comfortable with or just deal with because it's not that it's unfair. It's just, you're not used you're to, you're used not... to be, you're used to being given an unfair advantage. Yes. Like, and when that advantage is taken away, it's going to feel unfair. It's going to feel unfair. I am used to getting $400 when I pass go. I only get 200 now, you know? Right. Like, right. Yeah. Just like everyone else, buddy. Yeah. There was, a, I'm just, I'm thinking of social experiments. Like there was like this monopoly experiment where they did just that. They like would give, they let people play monopoly and like, they would give like one person a utterly unfair advantage in monopoly. Yeah. It was something like you get $400 when you pass go, you get more favorable interest rates when you ask for loans, you, you know, like, and and essentially, like, they won every single time they played Monopoly. But it was interesting in the interviews afterwards, almost every single one of the people that were given the unfair advantage talked about how good they were at Monopoly. <laughs> and that's why they won. Is that a skill set that one can even possess? <laughs> yeah. Like, also, if you're good at Monopoly, we should put you in jail. Like... <laughs> You're a psychopath. Okay, Goldman Sachs, what's good? Yeah, you know, um, or yeah, oh my Goldman gosh. Sachs. That's yeah, no, that 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 totally makes sense. It's like, well, I worked for this. It's like we're not saying you didn't work. We're saying I mean, the way the way that I usually put it is it's like like someone taking away an advantage that you have or someone taking away something that you benefit from that was stolen isn't harm. Like you losing you losing an unfair racist advantage isn't harm it's just not it's gonna feel that way but like you know if i'm like if i steal your grandpa's house and i live there and then i like give it to my kids and then your kids come along someday and are like hey yeah so fuck that shit get out of here this is our house like your grandpa stole that house right exactly and it's like uh you know if it's like if it's my kids living there, they're like, "What the fuck are you talking about? Like, we were born and raised in this house. Like, this is our house." It's like, no, it was stolen. Sorry, like this. And I, I, try, I have to tell people this all the time. I am not advocating for like white people to be thrown out on the street. Like, we can build more houses. We can have more conferences. We can have bigger classes and universities. Like, you're not losing your spot to some unqualified like Negro or whatever. Like, this is this. It, that's all like like a false scarcity that <laughs> was just manufactured yeah. to like make you afraid of losing your position. 
Like there's more than enough to go around and there's more than yeah. enough influence. Like, you know, these Absolutely. Like, conferences and stuff like, like there's more than enough of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. White, white dude doesn't need to go to 40 a year. He can go to 30 and, totally. you know, someone else can go to 10 and that's fine. Yeah, I guess. I mean, and I mean, obviously I'm thinking about wild goose and, and there, there was diversity there. It's not like it was just only white people. It wasn't a clan rally. It was not a clan rally. Just it was. Like, yes. It, and there were a lot of people that did feel very, very welcome and comfortable. And, and I'm not. I think know, it's, I, I mean, it sounds to me like a very typical, like white progressive space, right? Like there mm-hmm. is a little bit of diversity. There are people of color, there are disabled people, there are trans folks who, you know, whoever, whatever, whatever your intersection is of, of like your identity in society, like there are going to be people there that look like you who feel good, who feel comfortable, who are happy to be there. And like, that's not to diminish like their experiences at all. It's just like, okay, I'm going to compare this to like the population. <laughs> like, what are these, demog- like, what do these demographics look like compared to like, you know, just the general population. And the, the population of liberal people in the United States, like let's even get down there. How many of them are white? Mm-hmm and college educated college educated and yeah and so i i guess i how like we've said we've talked a lot of like ways that those spaces can be more diverse i just want to think even more practically like year one let's say i'm setting up a conference imagine for a second mm-hmm. we call it go home bible you're drunk where <laughs> if you remember what we talked about you didn't do it right um <laughs> That'll be our tagline. How do how does from day one that space become a place that is that is diverse and inclusive and representative of our audience, our demographics, and 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 what we would like to see America look like? Not just. I mean, yeah, you you have to go again. You have to like push push the pendulum farther 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 to the other direction than like even the middle, right? And that's the part that like feels unfair. But yeah, like a bunch of white people sitting around going, okay, how are we going to make, how are we going to make like Hispanic people feel included at our conference? Like, but like, you don't know, you don't know, like you're supposed to be listening. I'm I'm imagining like terrible white ideas. Like we're going to have a Mexican food truck. Like like I could just like feel so inclusive. (laughs) We're going to have a salsa night. Like I could just like see, like, I'm like, I'm thinking of so many terrible white ideas right now. What if we gave everybody sombreros? Yes, we'll have we'll have a Mexican day where it's just everything no. Mexican. No. That'll bring him in. <laughs> oh, so bad. Like my sides hurt. Um, but it's so bad because it, it that's how it goes. That's how it goes. This how so those conversations go. It's like this is what we're gonna we just decided like this is how you're gonna feel included, which again, it's like you're told that you can do that. Like culturally, societally, the narrative that white people are given is that you can do that. You can look at a situation and go, like, oh, I see what all of these people need. I see how to fix this. And then you're just dehumanizing people all over again because you're not listening to them and what they're saying. You're not if if the people who have the need aren't leading the conversation. There's no point in having the conversation. I mean, again, unless you're unless you're trying to cause harm while looking like the good guy. Which uh, I feel like it's better to just not do anything. Lot, I feel like that's a lot of progressive white folks. Where it's mm-hmm. like we just want to look good. Right. Yeah. For we other wanna, white people. We want to feel know. good. Yeah. Like we did our best. Like, no, let's not. 
your best isn't good enough, you know, again, because it's like, you think that like the advantages you, I mean, it, I said, like I say this all the time. I've said this on here. I say this on my homework. It's like, I say it everywhere, but like your nervous system cannot tell the difference between privilege and safety, right? Like your nervous system doesn't know that for example, the land that your home is on, like does not belong to you, even if you own it. Right. Like if somebody were to come and like take away your home, be like, this was, this is, this is stolen. Like you don't get to have this. Your nervous system is not going to be like, oh, cool. Yeah, totally. You're right. This isn't mine. I should, I'm going to go try to find somewhere else to live. I'll get it. I'll get a houseboat, you know, like that's not how our nervous systems work. And so it does take really intentional kind of action to do like some like self-examination and then to kind of like just sit down and, and shut up. I would, I would say, you know, that's probably about 40, you're 40% of the way there. If you can just like sit down and, and be, and be cool. The white folks sit down and be cool. You heard it here. Like I, I do want to say like your work, this is one thing I love about your work is because you do talk so much about our nervous system and, and come at it from that angle. And and that's even helped me quite a bit. Uh, and like w- when I feel that like incensed, like feeling for, for whatever it happens to be. Totally. Like, because, oh, I mean, that's how it works. Like, like oh, that's just that's that, that's not like like when when I feel unfair, like, oh, I got passed over for a job, prom- you know, mm-hmm. promotion and they hired a, a, a black man for diversity like there is a certain amount of like nervous system. That's like, that's unfair. That's cruel. That's not right. You know, whatever. And like, Oh, that's just, that's, that's my body doing its thing. Like, but that doesn't, that's not of, that's not my, that's not how I really feel about it necessarily. Right. That's just, Again. That's just yeah. Like, that's the, yeah. It's kind of the like lizard brain reaction that you have. Right. And it's, that's not necessarily reality. You know, the way that your nervous system is responding to something like that's information that you can take. Right. But it's not instructions. Yeah. Like information. I feel that that's unfair. Mm -hmm. That's a valid feeling to have. But what I choose to do with that feeling is important. I think that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just getting getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Anything else? No, I think we fixed it. We did. We fixed it. We fixed all white progressive conferences. <laughs> all they have to do is listen to this and then send me a check for $4,000. Yes. You should pay Tori <laughs> for this free consulting that you just got. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So that's actually yeah, a good segue to some capitalism. Mm, um, mm, yes, indeed. Uh, and so, you know, pay us at least by listening and then we'll go from there. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for enjoying that little bit of capitalism um, and the uh, pay Tori for her consultation fund. Uh, so if you'd like to contribute more directly to the pay Tori for her consultation fund, you can join uh, Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash go home Bible. That will for as little as four bucks a month, you get access to our discord community. Uh, which is a great community. Honestly, I, my, I thought it was going to be this like high-minded discussion of our episodes, which sometimes it is that. But honestly, like these people, y'all got some beautiful pets. Like the fur baby channel, like 
docks so your pets. Like it's so it's, cute. It's lovely. So I, I also I've I've started I've learned to like Discord as a retreat sometimes from the chaos that can be Twitter or other like kind of like the the it's like a, it's like its own little like it's like a nice little lake and you're not swimming out in the ocean of Twitter. It's it's a gated community if you will. Um <laughs> on the internet. Oh God! Uh, oh, I hate this. Yeah, but <laughs> but I do think that part of the reason we do put that behind our you know paywall on our Patreon is it kind of just keeps the shit he- shitheads out because it's like we want you to be invested in it, and I it's it's a great community, and I'm I'm very I'm very happy that we are able to have that. Also, you know, there are other benefits as well. Some some merch things. We hopefully will be doing, you know, these t-shirts we keep talking about, which I'm more excited about the more ideas we get. And that's also something that we roll out to our Patreon community first uh, as well. If we do get more patrons, we're shooting for 50. We are planning on doing a patron hang in Washington, D.C. Not a patron hang, sorry. A listener hang in Washington, D.C. As well as venturing sites to see all of our favorite dead racists. There's which so are many. also legion yeah which are <laughs> i mean you could just throw a rock in dc and you'll hit a <laughs> monument to a dead racist so uh at which you're all welcome to join so that's something we want to do so if you can patreon.com slash go home bible if you can't do that that is completely fine i understand we're in the middle of all kinds of weirdness right now but if you could give the podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to right now uh it's probably just look at your phone right now do a couple doodly doos and you can give us a five-star review. Uh, if you want to write a review, great, but that's not often necessary or just share it with a friend. If you're like, Hey, this discussion was interesting. Yeah. Give us a little share. Uh, personal recommendations are always good and that's free. So we really appreciate it. And you know, all of, all of our listeners like our in- on our Instagram and stuff, it's like fantastic interactions. It makes me feel so great uh, to be a part of this little thing we made while Tori and I were bored during the pandemic. Um, <laughs> So being ADHD has its advantages. And so I'm so glad we mm-hmm. got to make this. So today we're actually going to talk a little bit, a, a little bit about a story we've already discussed before, but in a different light based on a little like bit of scholarship that I ran across while I was at Wild Goose that I am obsessed with. And I shared it with Tori and now she's kind of obsessed with it. So we're going to, that's what we're going to talk about today. And hopefully it'll lead just to kind of a larger discussion about how this insane book is not one thing, um, but it keeps changing based on new information, which I just find absolutely fascinating. So Tori, do we have a, are we going to be daring our listeners to imbibe some substance while they listen to this discussion? Well, uh, whatever you do, don't take a hit of anything because that will go very poorly for you. You can probably you can probably hang with a drink, and if you are one of the people who doesn't drink, one I'm so proud of you, and I would give you a big hug if you wanted one. And also, you can drink some water, drink some tea, do a push up, whatever you want to do, whatever feels good to you. Yeah, I think our drink. Unfortunately, I think our drinking game is going to be whenever we end up talking about Jesus fucking, <laughs> because that's going to come up a lot. Yes, it is going to come up a lot. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. So uh, the story we're going to tell is what's going to be in John chapter 11 and a little bit in chapter 12. We talked about this before in our Lazarus episode. This is the passage where Jesus, you know, learns about Lazarus, Lazarus's death. 
um, the, the plural of Lazarus. The, yeah, the possessive <laughs> Lazarus, Lazarus's 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 <laughs> death. And then he just fucks around in another town somewhere for a while. And then he decides comes, just not to do his job. Yeah, just calls in sick. And in all of our Bibles, you know, Martha goes out and meets him on the road and like confronts him. Like, and then, bitch. Yeah, like, yeah, just like gets in his face about it. And um, then there is this honestly a very interesting and I think beautiful exchange between the two of them where, you know, she yeah, she's getting in his face. And then, you know, it's just like if you had been here, you know, this, you know, he he would not have died. And, you know, and then, you know, like she says, like, I know that, you know, I know that he's going to rise again at the re- resurrection. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. No one believes, you know, da, 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 da. And then, you know, and then she replies, this is, this is Martha in everyone's Bible. Yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah, the son of the God who's come into the world. So this is this like big, like, this is the centerpiece of John. Like, this is like all the, uh, John has been leading up to this confession that Jesus is Lord. Whether you personally believe that or not, that's fine. But just as a piece of literature, this is what John's leading up to. And the other gospels have similar kind of mini climaxes, you know, typically where Peter is the one that says that, you know, and then Jesus says, you know, do you Peter upon, you know, this rock, I'll build my church, you know, so Peter was the rock. And, you know, and so like nicknames are also really common, uh, just kind of as an aside, you know, like Peter was the rock. And then there was like, you know, like somebody else was like the twin and like James and John were like the sons of thunder. Like nicknames were kind of important, you know, especially if like this cool Jesus dude is giving you a nickname, like, ooh, I get a nickname from Jesus. That's going to be important in a minute. So there was a woman. Her name was at, or at the time she went by the name Libby, Libby Schrader. She goes by Elizabeth now. She was actually a songwriter at the time. And, you know, she was praying in a church garden in Brooklyn, and she heard a voice tell her to seek out Mary Magdalene. She's also Episcopal. If you know anything about Episcopalians, like hearing a voice, not something that I mean, like if you grew up charismatic or evangelical, you heard Jesus's voice every day. Like, <laughs> right. Jesus was telling you which socks to put on, you know, like Jesus found you parking spots. Uh-huh. Jesus told you who to ask out for, you know, like whatever, you know, Jesus like shamed you at night. Like Jesus talked to you constantly. This is not her experience, That's, I, which I find interesting. And so like and she wrote songs about it as well. But she also started studying, you know, in a more scholarly manner. And I'm really going to truncate this, you know, if, if Libby Schrader is one of our listeners, you know, like one awesome rat. Love you very much. You're amazing. But if I get details of the story wrong, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to paraphrase because I don't want to. Uh, it's, it's a very long and interesting story, but I just wanted to give kind of the highlights. And a lot of the early manuscripts. Uh, actually, I'm going to back up for a second because people might not know this. There, so how you get the Bible that you have is it's it's a complicated process but there are you know justin it's the inspired word of god what are you talking about there's nothing complicated about the voice of god drops out of the sky i'm sorry every every bible yeah every bible (laughs) just drops out of an angel's ass (laughs) oh no not angel fucking that wasn't the game 
Okay, go on. That when angels fuck, a Bible is made. That is, that's how that happens. I hate it here. What is happening? <laughs> um, so there's that version of the story. And if you want to just fast forward and believe that that's how Bibles are made, I, I don't blame you. Um, but uh, there are these, you know, Bible societies there, you know, there's one that's kind of the main one in Germany, but there's several others. They're kind of in charge of kind of if safeguarding these manuscripts, the earliest ones that we have, as well as, you know, where they contradict, which one do we go with? You know, which ones are maybe corrupted? I mean, it's, it's actually, there's, there's quite a bit of, of science, if you want to call it, and trying to determine and handle these documents and make sure that they are safeguarded because, you know, for millions of people, right, wrong, or different, the Bible and, and maintaining a Bible that is as accurate as possible is important work. Again, you may not believe that. So, uh, but access to a lot of these manuscripts is, is not available to the public. You can't just be like, hey, I want to read the earliest manuscript of John that we have. I and then like show up at some seminary and be like, okay, hey, give me the documents. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it is a long process to get there. It's, it's typically, you know, and, and I think that's a good thing, but also, you know, access was limited typically to people that already had doctorates and people that were doing research and they had grants, your time is limited. So now, though, all of those documents have been digitized in very high definition. And they're in archives that if you, I mean, people that are relatively low level researchers can have access to them, which I think is good. That's a democratization. So Libby gets her eyes on this document in John and is going through in, in search of Mary Magdalene and, you know, trying to follow this vision. So and she's she's in grad school. She was in grad school at the time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she's getting her doctorate right now, I think, at Duke. Uh, is what she's okay. doing now but you know at the time she was just in grad school you know writing writing a graduate level paper so not you know essentially given the the task of tell us something new about mary magdalene that no one else knows and and so she did what ended up happening is she's looking at these documents and she's noticing that there is a problem the character of martha that is portrayed in this passage in John. And this is specific to John. Uh, there's another passage in Luke that talks about the character of Martha that that's not who we're talking about. So, you know, I'm about to ruin Martha for you, but just know that I'm only ruining Martha in John. I'm not ruining Martha in Luke. Not, not that anyone listening to this was like, oh, damn, I loved Martha. <laughs> but that's fair, yeah. That's fair. I'm just saying I'm about to ruin Martha for you because she discovered in this earliest manuscript with dates to I think was it about it was about 400. Uh no, maybe 200. It was is it's a relatively early manuscript. It's the earliest one that we have. Even still it was a copy of a copy of a copy. And she noticed that there was like basically I think some discrepancies in the ink and that the word Martha really shouldn't be Martha. It should be Mary. There should be two Marys here. It should not be Mary and Martha. And she noticed other areas where like sister of Lazarus was changed to like sisters of Lazarus in order to essentially make this passage about Mary and Martha and not Mary and Mary. Now, innocently, you could say this is maybe some editor somewhere being like, this is confusing. There's two Marys here. We have this other story about Mary and Martha. Let's just, you know, harmonize the gospels a little bit to make them make a little more sense. And again, kind of spoiler alert, that happened a lot 
in the early centuries of Christianity. So just saying. If you're if you're listening to this podcast, we are going to spoil some parts of the Bible for you. Just, so. you know, like, yeah. sorry to ruin the Bible for you, but it's, yeah, totally. it's, it's maybe just, like, it is it is known to not be entirely historically accurate. Uh, you know, Justin, the Bible clearly says insects have four legs. Yeah, <laughs> sure it does. So so she made it, the case, though, that this other Mary actually is Mary Magdalene. And again, innocently, you could say, sure, you know, this is just someone trying to trying to make some harmonization here. But I also think there is a more insidious i suppose you could call it read of it which is this is trying to erase mary magdalene's role in the scripture because she really has a very large role if you look at it she's part of the women that first announce jesus resurrection she is present for a lot of major things that happen she financed jesus ministry she has a pretty badass conversion story where she was delivered from demons you know like Jesus' sugar mama. Yeah, yeah definitely Jesus' <laughs> sugar mama. So, and and also to give her this confession of Jesus, where in the book of John, she's given Peter's role, essentially, where she is the one that receives this message. And she is the one that is a, that is a central character in this story. And with a couple strokes of a pen, whoever this scribe was, erases her from that and minimizes her significance in the gospel of john quite significantly and so i find that fascinating i think also it's interesting that you know they call her mary of magdala or mary magdalene which is a cute name i think it's cute but that town doesn't exist that we know now now if you go to now if you go to israel i've never been to israel i honestly have no desire to go to israel like it just no offense i'd rather go to turkey yeah like even I mean, for bible history like i would so much rather go to turkey yeah i just if it, it feels like going to the disneyland of christianity which is really fucked up if you think about the fact that it's like a religion that they literally hijacked yeah it just it, yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. It, it would be like if they built disneyland like on top of notre dame in some <laughs> ways you know like and then like Come and coexist, coexist. Like, yeah, like the little yeah. Disney head, and then like the D from the like Notre. I'm sorry. sure people have I'm had sorry. beautiful experiences in Israel, and obviously, you know, you know, Palestinians have been fucked over by the nation of Israel, and and there are also people that live in Israel that were born there that are being fucked over too. Like, so yeah. it's, it's yeah. not a, it's not a grand Levels. place to go. Um, and I just I have no interest, but. But if you go there, I mean, you'll find uh, there's probably three or four towns that are like the original Magdala or whatever, and they'll <laughs> be gladly take your money to tell you all about how Mary Magdalene is from there. Uh, she is not. This is like this is like the foreskin of Christ. Yeah, there's like twelve copies of it. Yeah, and there are enough splinters of the true cross to like populate a forest. Um, <laughs> but that name actually could mean the tower, and it's very likely that her nickname was the tower, which again, like you have Peter, the rock, I'm going to build my church, but like, but Mary is the tower. And and I figure you combine that with all of the rumors and the stuff in the gospel of Thomas about Mary and Jesus being together. An item. Yeah. An item. 
knowing each Why other. Why did I say that? In the biblical sense of the word. Uh, fucking, basically. Uh, honestly, in the Gospel of Thomas, I think it talks about like how, you know, like Mary really liked it when Jesus like went down her or something. <laughs> like, which... I mean, I don't know. Like it talks, it talks a little bit about that in, in, in Revelation, not, not Jesus and Mary specifically. But yeah, you know. so. I mean, I'm just going to say it right now on this podcast that Jesus went down on Mary and he probably is pretty good at it, you know? Who knows? And he doesn't strike me as very straight, which leads me to believe that, yes, he was probably pretty good at it. Yeah. So, I, I, again, you, I, you can speculate what might Christianity have been had this not happened, had this minimizing of this woman's role not taken place. I mean, and I think that's fascinating, but I also find it fascinating that Mary Magdalene has been on this shit list of mm. white, powerful theologians for centuries. I mean, one of the reasons we think that she was a prostitute was become some, because some Pope basically was like, she was a sex worker. It's not yeah. in the Bible. Yeah. Like, it was... That's really funny because I, I I asked my sisters, I was like, did you guys, you guys were all taught that like Mary Magdalene was, was a prostitute, right? That was like the language that was used. And they were like, yeah, like you, you weren't. And then I'm like doing all of this research today and it's like, oh yeah, like that was literally a thing that was like made up by Pope Gregory in like 591 Yeah, <laughs> where he was just, you know, he hated women. He was like, um an early Mark Driscoll and uh, <laughs> he was just like on a rant and was like sex workers are evil. So, and Mary was a sex worker and it's just, it, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by this attempt to make Mary into like a second class Christian, I guess, you know, and it, you know, it was, it was very clearly like an attempt to like demonize her to like, to like slander her and to kind of make a statement about her character because it's not in there. Right. So it's, if it's not in the text, you're making it up. The intention is to like discredit her, right. Just to discredit her, what she said to discredit her witness, like wherever the gospel of Mary came from, like who even knows. And at the same time, I like, I kind of struggle with all the people that get indignant about like, she wasn't, how dare you? She wasn't a sex worker. It's like, there's nothing wrong with sex work either. You guys like this is, come on. There's like, there's, there's kind of a, uh, there's kind of maybe a, a thin line here to walk, but I think we can do both of these things. Like we can, we can respect sex work and also respect that like, some fucking Pope who hated women, which was, you know, probably 97% of them, if I had to guess, decided to like make up a story so that people would be less inclined to care about like Mary's witness, like in the scripture, right? Because it's like in all four of the gospels, she's the first person to witness Jesus after the resurrection, right? Like that's not a minor character. Like that's, that's like, an integral part of the story. And she right? told, and she told the disciples about it. Right. She like, told them. Yeah. And then is, they all went out. She is the first evangelist. Yeah. And so I think it, I think it makes sense that they were going to trying to like tarnish her reputation and, you know, well, I acknowledge that that's what they're trying to do. I am also very pro sex work. I just want yeah. to say that. Yeah. Yeah, and this is something that um, Elizabeth said. Um, she's a, Martha was added as a way of diminishing Mary Magdalene and confusing her presentation. 
It's mm. a later's it's a, and she even she even goes on to say it is a later editor's interference with the intention of John the Evangelist, which uh, honestly, it makes sense to me too, as someone who is a biblical scholar. Uh, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written earlier, and John is written much later. I mean, even a conservative, like a conservative Bible scholar's take, that's the order of the Gospels. You know, yeah, like yeah, there are some that would say Mark didn't exist until two hundred, and the other ones even later. I don't necessarily think the dating is that late, but that's a debate for another podcast. But like John is written pretty late in the game. So for John to be like, hey, this Mary Magdalene is super important. I'm going to make give her a central role. And then a later scribe being like, no, John, you're dead now. It's my time. I'm going to change Christianity forever. (laughs) You know, like it's just so I don't know. It's just so wild. And what I love about the story, this was actually a story. This was at Wild Goose. I I learned this and I did some more research kind of on the side. This is Diana Butler Bass kind of presented this. But what I love is like there's actually debates now amongst these like kind of Bible societies about like, okay, this definitely like they've like read the research that she did and they've actually confirmed it. It's like, yeah, this is ac- pretty accurate. And so there's debates now as whether or not whatever Bible, not that anyone in this podcast community is going to buy another Bible, but if you do it, it will definitely be a footnote. If not, there will be an entire change to the way John is presented in future versions of the Bible that come out, which I mean, good job, Libby. Like, yeah, that to me seriously. is fucking rad. Like you just got uh-huh. some random vision one day and then you went online and saw these texts and was like, whoa, there's some fuckery going on here. I don't mm-hmm. think Libby said that, but that's my paraphrase. <laughs> uh, that's what we said. That's what we said. <laughs> and and now like it is going to change the way the Bible is presented entirely for the rest Forever. of forever, whenever that's and, and that um, to me, that's just like such a democratic story in the sense, like I broadly, you know, that that someone has access to this and and also just like a rad, you know, story that Mary Magdalene is is now starting to get her due in the story of, you know, this again, whether or not you're a person of faith, I think it is an important step in the history of Christianity to be like, we're going to start acknowledging her role as, as much more bigger than we have acknowledged in the past. I think that's, that's me. That's a good thing. I think so too. I also, I also really, you know, like not, not knowing precisely how Elizabeth identifies, but like knowing that like someone who at least is socially, who, who is like socially identified as, as female is like the person who found this, like the person that went looking for this like the person who like had this moment of inspiration or clarity or like hearing a voice or you know I don't want to like speak for their experience that to me that's really interesting to me and this is why we constantly are harping on like we have to have this is why you have to have diversity in research like it can't be a bunch of white dudes because like with all due respect like white dudes are going to see what they're going to see you know and the rest of us are going to go in and see other things right and it's like you're being given you're being told to like paint a mural with one color it's like okay well i you know i can do something with this but you're not getting the whole picture and it's you know it's kind of it's kind of unfair to everybody else to like like oh no like you can you can just trust us we know what's happening here and so you know i I, it's not lost on me that like it was to the extent of my knowledge 
a woman who found this information yeah. out about yeah, I, I'm pretty sure she inspired. as yeah like, yeah who was inspired to like go and do this research yes right because obviously white men have spent millions of hours study like looking at these texts over centuries millennia frankly and missed it <laughs> and missed it like like this has been like people have been going over these like exactly what what elizabeth was looking at like those exact fucking documents like people have been looking at those for millennia mm-hmm. and she was the one that found it and i think that i mean i think it says a lot about like making sure that you have multiple types of eyes on things you know because we're all going we we're we all benefit from this discovery that she made essentially right um i mean i think like you know you and i like we were talking on the phone about this yesterday it was like you know we were just like i don't neither of us like identify as christian but we're both like this is really a fucking cool story like this is really rad and i think that yeah the democratization of, of christianity of access to like original documents and texts which like you said is like super super gatekeepy like you have to yeah like you said you have to have funding you have to have a phd you have to have connections to even like get access to this stuff um yeah, so there, I think there are multiple layers of this that are really, really cool and really and really beneficial for everybody, even you know, people like me who don't, you know, don't have any spiritual beliefs or practices to speak of. I still think that it's really cool to be able to like reclaim something that was that was like part of someone's identity that was meant to be demonized and like erased. Yeah. I'll try to link in the show notes at least a link to one of the articles so that people can dig deeper if they want and i think it's also interesting like this article i'm reading now it's like just this month another scholar you know talked about images of you know christians worshiping at altars and talking about how like it appears that there are women in liturgical robes alongside men Mm. in these early christian depictions Mm -hmm. of worship and and that also has been erased probably by later popes who were like we just want women to not be a part of this i don't know what the fuck they were going on about but i it, it they're like, all just bitter like but imagine it just it on one on the one hand it's cool but on the other hand it also i think it inspires a little bit of grief in the sense that like mm-hmm. how feminist how queer how open like not just the not just the church but western society would have been had this been the story all along and and while i don't necessarily identify as a christian anymore or you know some days i do but you know 60 percent of the time i don't identify as a christian anymore <laughs> i think for people that feel like they need to be in that space and need to fight for that space to have more and more not just like alternative interpretations but like no this is in the fucking text right like Right. And this was in the text the whole time. And, and that matters. And that matters. Yeah. I think that is an immense amount of fuel and immense amount of encouragement and immense amount of like and and I think too, like in your body knowing, like I know there was more to this and I was mm-hmm. told wrong. And now having the vindication of being like, no, actually from the beginning, you know, 
women were at the forefront of this. And I know it's not like women aren't like the be all end all of inclusion, but it's like, mm-hmm, that's a big, mm-hmm. big friggin' first step for the first century. And we would be so much further had that momentum allowed to continue. But also maybe Mary and Jesus had a kid together. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I don't know. I'm not saying that that did or didn't happen. I'm just saying there are rumors. <laughs> yeah. And he became the king of France. I just that is that part is fucking weird to me. <laughs> like that part we can disprove because the king of France was not Jewish. Like not ethnically Jewish. We that part we can figure out. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it just the story makes so much sense to me that Jesus had this lady friend slash wife slash you know whatever, and she's you know super prominent while he's alive. And then after he's dead, I can see Peter, you know, Peter had like a lot of Mark Driscoll energy. Peter just being like, yeah, sorry, we're going to shut you out. Oh, my gosh. You know, oh my gosh. like it. And then Peter gets shut out by Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Also has a lot of Mark Driscoll energy. Uh huh. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's 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 so much going on here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The New Testament is a knife fight, folks. It's a knife fight. Uh, it, I like it is a theological knife fight in a telephone booth, and you know <laughs> that's amazing. I've never, I've never heard that before. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that, I that, mean, I'm, that could I also think be a t-shirt. That could, yeah, that could absolutely be a t-shirt. Hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's like that's something that like we can totally speculate and make jokes about, and like there's n- absolutely no way to know. I mean, unless you get like DNA off of like the shout of Turin or something, which we all know is clearly Jesus. Yeah, clearly that was Jesus. Because, <laughs> you know, all what those a, fibers what a were... fucking wild ancestry.com if they did. <laughs> you know, are you related to Jesus? Are you related to Jesus Christ? Oh my gosh. Can you imagine how completely intolerable evangelicals would be? Like, they're already like faux Jewish. Yeah. They would be, oh my gosh, they would be, they would be intolerable if they could say that they were like genetically related to Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine that world. Maybe we don't live in the worst timeline. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they do a DNA test of the Shroud of Turin and put that on Ancestry.com, then you will know we are in the worst of the timelines. Uh-huh. 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 I mean, I think that that like that's that's like legitimately worse than like, okay, we're like doing reparations now. And then everybody's like, well, hey, I'm 0.3% black. I get reparations too. Yeah, <laughs> like, like that's what it would be like. I'm related to Jesus. You can't talk to me. Yeah. I'm part of God's chosen. Ding. Oh yeah, they already they already say that unfortunately yeah but then they would have a piece of paper that says that oh that's true and that makes we all know and how mad would like mormons be mormons are really on the struggle right now you guys they're like they're like bleeding people joseph joseph smith wasn't in fact related to jesus or whatever or did he find some magic secret white jews or whatever in utah (laughs) i don't know I'm watching Under the Banner of Heaven, which is nice. fantastic, but it's also a kind of a crash course in at least the darker Mormon side history. of Mormon history. The, uh, it's all the darker side. 
Yeah. I it, promise. It's all the dark side. It's all the dark side. <laughs> it's wilder than I ever thought. But yeah, we'll do an episode on that uh, later. This oh, yeah. We totally couple, should. Months, yeah. It's but. like, yeah, they, they cover so much shit that is like completely wild. And I'm not going to do any spoilers in case people want to like listen to it. But I like I learned stuff. And I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on like Mormon history, seeing as like it's like a state over from us, not next door neighbor, next next door to the next door neighbor. Yeah, I, I, when, I, when I lived in Colorado, even I was like, there are a lot more Mormons here than than I ever experienced here out east. That's because we we had the foresight to kick them out. Uh. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Like, like I, it's so there is so much like you look at American history and there are just so many wacko religious movements. I mean, just utterly weird religious movements. I just find it hilarious that like Mormons were so weird that they're like, no, hell no, you get out of town. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Oh my gosh. That is, yeah. This is a bridge too far, even for us. Yeah, even for even for like yeah, Christians in in like the 19th century, they're like Mm-mm, no, no. Now that we're talking about this, though, I feel like we should maybe we should maybe do. We probably need to do an episode like a deep dive into the burned over district. Oh man! <laughs> like what the fuck? Like there was something in the water. Clearly, <laughs> like all of these people are just like, I'm starting a new religion. I have I'm having a vision. I am having a vision. The Lord has spoken to me. That'll be our next our next uh patron excursion. Oh to upstate New York. Okay. <laughs> How fun. <laughs> we'll see if we can get a religious vision. Well, you know, I guess there's that. We could bring some like mushrooms with us. Yeah, we'll have a religious vision. But we won't start a religion because we'll know. Well, we it's... we already we already have our semi-cult yeah. of Bible drunkenness. So, I don't know, who do you cast as Mary Magdalene in the scriptures as we're kind of wrapping up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have somebody in my head. I don't know who I'm, I don't know who I'm thinking of. It's not, it's not coming back. That's okay. Who would you, who would you cast? Off the, okay, I have two off the top of my head. Well, one, one is, she already played Mary Magdalene. Monica Bellucci played it in oh, The yeah. Passion of Christ. I mean, The Passion Wait, of Christ is terrible. I thought yeah. she I thought she played Mary Mary. Well, she played a lot of different Marys and she was an amalgamation of characters, but oh, Monica Bellucci. I, I see, is, I see what you're saying. Okay, okay. It, I mean, it was Passion of the Christ, which is eh, and Mel Gibson is eh. Uh, but Monica yeah. Bellucci is mm-hmm. yeah. lovely. But if we want to go with a different casting, I was thinking um I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher her last name. Uh Lupita Nongio. Oh yeah. I think maybe she'd be kind of fun as a casting yeah no she was she was actually the the first person that that came to mind also ava mendez yeah everybody pronounces her name eva but she says she says it's ava but i think that i think she would be a really good mary magdalene but yeah that's 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 just that's me that's how i how i feel about it yeah ava mendez would be wonderful as well right i think so so we'll put it also i'll try to make a poll uh, next week who's a oh, badass yeah. character yeah, a poll. Like, there we go you know she's a badass character and you know deserves more credit than she has mm-hmm. for sure i like it anything you want to promote or anything you want to 
Um, Plug. Oh boy, I don't know. Drink lots of water. It's very hot out. Ice water is your friend. Yes, very much so. I will. Very good thing. I will also say, like, if you are a person that is part of an organization that uh, is progressive, and you're like, hey, I don't know. We we've put out we've put out the the fly paper, but we have not attracted any people of color. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're that if you're that kind of person, one don't phrase it that way. It's late, and uh, that was just the weird phrasing. I thought uh, you should definitely that's, check that's out. That's how it works, though. That is how it works. You should definitely check out Tori's white homework, and then maybe also consult with Tori and pay her real money for the thing that she does professionally because she's amazing at it. So to, you know. Tori might not plug herself, but I will plug what she does. Oh, um, so because it's 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 amazing stuff. So you can find us at Go Home Bible on all the things except Facebook because I don't go there. We don't do that. Mm-mm. We don't we don't make enough money. No. If if we get if we get two thousand patrons, I will go on Facebook to announce. We'll we'll even do a poll. What should Tori say when she finally makes a return to Facebook? No, I'm like I'll I'll run I'll run a Facebook page for us. Oh yeah, okay. I, I'm down with that. That'll be yeah. our next patron goal. There we uh, go. <laughs> we might want to have a couple of patron goals in between there. But thank you so much for listening and for checking us out. And we hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, as Tori said, stay hydrated, and uh, we'll see you at the next one. All right. Eight. Bye. Bye. Bye.